Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. Today, we continue our Patreon pledge drive with part two of the McCormick Matter from yours truly, Johnny Dollar. If you already support this podcast, thank you. If you don't, we hope to change your mind with a month of bonus episodes, Patreon previews, and special releases like the one you're about to hear. In a departure from our usual recording process, all three of us are listening to the story for the first time. Not only that, we're listening to it together and recording our thoughts immediately after hearing each episode. In this way, you'll get our real-time reaction to the story's cliffhangers, plot twists, and final resolution. We're also releasing episodes daily, allowing you to enjoy the story in its original, serialized format. So now let's listen to part two of the McCormick Matter from yours truly, Johnny Dollar, first aired October 4th, 1955. It's late at night, and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker. Listen to the music, and listen to the voices. From Hollywood, it's time now for Bob Bailey as... Johnny Dollar. It's Frank Porter, Allied Casualty. Yes, Mr. Porter. Well, call me Frank, Johnny. Uh, you phoned yesterday about the McCormick matter. I got all the stuff about the case on my desk here, and we're still offering $7,500 reward. Thanks for confirming it, Frank. Sure. Uh, you got a tip or something? An old con named Mike Cairn gave me a tip about a guy named Jojo Panny. I'm working on it. Well, need any help? No, not yet. I might. Jojo pulled out of his hotel last night, bag and baggage. Oh, what are you going to do? I'm on my way to Long Island. Huh? I want to talk to McCormick himself. Oh. Uh, Johnny. Yeah? Let me give you a tip for your own good. Don't bother Julian McCormick unless you've really got something. Could be dangerous. I think I've got something. Tonight and every weekday night, Bob Bailey and the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account... America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to the Allied Casualty and Insurance Company Limited, Markham Building, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the McCormick matter. Item four. deposit on the car I rented to drive out to Julian McCormick's home on Long Island. And judging by the looks of the place, a safe full of $100,000 worth of jewelry would feel right at home. It was a mansion, and the rugs on the floor were an inch thick. I'm sorry I've kept you waiting. Mrs. McCormick and I were packing for a little trip to Europe. Sit down, please. Thanks. Going to be gone long? Oh, we usually spend several months a year over there. We're a bit late this year. Our reservations are for next week. 
I envy you, Mr. McCormick. Dollar the name? That's right. Forgive me, but I don't seem to recall having heard of you before. Oh, that's okay. We never met. I'm an insurance investigator. Oh, really? Am I being investigated or something? No, no, nothing like that. It's just that I might have a lead on that jewelry that was taken from your home a few years ago. Well, that's wonderful. You must tell me about it. Can I make you a drink? No, thanks. You're from the insurance company. Allied casualty? No, no, I'm not. I'm an independent investigator. Well, why should anyone feel it necessary to call in a... Oh, oh, I see. There's a reward, of course. That's right. Yes, of course. But now, tell me. How can I help you? Well, I'm just checking a few things, Mr. McCormick. I haven't even gone over it with a man who handled the case for Allied. Possibly I have run into something that'll help. I don't know. I'd like you to tell me what happened. My safe was opened and my jewelry taken. I mean, how it happened. Well, it was right in this very room. That's the wall safe there. Uh-huh. Mrs. McCormick and I had just returned from our honeymoon. Five years ago, it was. Yeah. All I know is that when I stepped into the library here that morning, the safe was open and everything was gone. Whoever did it was extremely clever and quiet, I must say. Was the safe cracked? No, no, no. It was just opened. Someone figured the combination or something like that. Well, who knew the combination at the time? Only myself, Mr. Dolan. You're sure of that? Why, of course. I see. I reported it to the police right away here on Long Island. Then some men from New York City were here, too. And your insurance company? I reported it to my insurance company immediately. They had a man on the scene as soon as the police. A uh, Mr. Porter. Frank Porter? Yes. Do you know him? I've talked to him on the phone. I haven't met him. A very nice chap. He worked very hard trying to recover it. I'm sure he did. Did they have an adjuster? Yes. Uh, How much did you collect, if you don't mind? Not much. What do you mean? Well, it was unfortunate. By keeping that much jewelry in a small house safe, it seems I violated the clause in the contract. It should have been kept in a safety deposit box or some such. Consequently, the matter went into litigation. I'm afraid the court found me at fault. I collected only a part of the insured value, $20,000. So, you can see, I'd certainly welcome a recovery. Sure. The jewelry was in the family a good many years. I had given it to my wife, and I... Well, a man hates to lose things he loves. Yes, I understand. Was Mrs. McCormick here the morning it happened? Oh, yeah? I'd like to talk to her. She's terribly busy, but if you think it's sufficiently important, I'll call her. No, never mind. I'm curious, Mr. Dollar. This case has been closed a long time. At least, no one's contacted me or asked me for any information about it for at least four years. What opened it? A man named Mike Cairn. Huh? Who's he? An old convict up at Ossining who shared a cell for a while with a man named Joe Panny. Uh-huh. Cairn died yesterday. But before he died, he told me he thought Panny had something to do with it. He'd heard him mention your name. Well, it seems to me you should talk with this Joe Panny. I did, and I will some more, as soon as I locate him again. Right now, he's missing. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, thanks for the time, Mr. McCormick. You let me know if you learn anything? Sure. Do you honestly think you can recover that jewelry? With any luck at all? That would be wonderful, wonderful. You think so? Why, yes, of course. Mrs. McCormick might be glad to know about it, too. What? You said it was her jewelry. I don't know why I said that to him. Just a sudden impulse. 
But he wasn't smiling when he walked me to the door, shook my hand, and patted me on the shoulder. I had a funny feeling that Mr. Julian McCormick was scared like a rabbit of me. I drove back to the city, had lunch at Walgreens, and dropped into Allied Casualties' New York office to pick up the folder on reward information. I met Frank Porter and liked him right away, a big red-headed man in a tweed suit. Gee whiz, Johnny, it makes me feel older than ever doing this. How come? Well, I weighed 15 pounds less when this case started, June 1951. Ah, here we are. Uh, these are pictures of the stuff. Uh-huh. Now, that one they call Tierra del Fuego. Huh? Some necklace, hmm? I can see why. Yeah, and uh, this one was called Imperial, in the royal family of Russia at one time. And uh, this is the other one, Placid. And beautiful stuff. Oh, you can say that again. That all of it? Well, that's about the size of it, Johnny. $100,000 gone. Yeah. Help any? Sure. It's nice to know what I'm trying to find. Well, I hope you have better luck than I did. Yeah. Say, uh, who was the police officer on the case? Uh, Martin. Duels Martin. Out of Central? Yeah. We ran down every lead we could find, big and small. The file said you made 12 arrests. Yeah, something like that, but not one of them panned out. Had to let them all go. Martin requested pickups on every big-time jewelry man in the country. Now, I don't think one of them was overlooked. Well... No, Johnny, somebody just simply walked in that house, opened the safe as neat as you please, and walked right out with all of this. Very slick job. Had to be an experienced man. Well, might have been a first job for someone just starting in. He got lucky. Yeah, we thought of that, and we didn't think much of it after a while. Frank, you... Gee whiz, Johnny, you know, nobody could be that lucky. Chase the house, know exactly where the safe was, know what was in it, get in, open it up, and get out without anybody... Servants, the McCormicks, or any of their friends even seeing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that wasn't even the hardest part, you see. Not one scrap of this stuff has ever turned up anywhere. Yeah. Well, anywhere. Now, what, a, what did whoever took it do with it? Did he break it down, sell it overseas? What? Not a trace of it. Imagine that. Imagine. You know what I think? I think the guy who swiped all this stuff still has it. I think he's sitting around waiting for it to cool off. Could be. Uh... But it's never going to cool off, Johnny. There isn't a city in this country or across the ocean that isn't on the lookout for these pieces. I suppose. Now, sooner or later, hot boy or lucky boy, well, whoever he is, will make a move. <laughs> Meantime, we just wait. Unless, of course, uh, you've got something for us to look into. Uh, not yet, Frank. Yeah, well, when you have, we'll be right with you all the way. Good, good. How about a drink? Uh, take a rain check. Okay. But remember, we got a whole floor full of lawyers upstairs. They can get up warrants, writs, seizure orders, anything you might want. Yeah. You just let me know when you get somewhere and we'll go to work. I'll do that, Frank. I left Frank Porter and went back over to the parole office to see what had developed with Joe Panny. After all, if he didn't report in, he'd be in violation of his parole, be in real trouble. But nothing had developed. He hadn't put in a change of address, nothing. So I went back to my hotel and had some dinner. Then I shaved, changed my clothes. Expense account, item five, dollar and a half, cab fare. I garaged my rented car, went back to Central Police Station and pulled out the mug on Joe Panny once more, hoping to get a line on some friends or relatives of his where he might be staying. Up till then, things had been going pretty routine. Then a clerk from the parole offices stepped across the hall. Hi, Mr. Dollar. Hi. Thought it was you I saw in here. I wasn't sure. How's it going? Fine, fine. Talk to your friend Jojo Panny yet? Not today. Why? You seemed awful anxious to talk to him, is all. I am. Why don't you go see him? You playing games? I've been trying to find out where he is all day. And I already told you. You what? Sure, I gave it to you half an hour ago when you phoned. When who phoned? Sure, about half an hour ago. 
Look, Joe Panny called in and told me his address. Yeah? I no sooner set down a phone and you call in and said, this is Johnny Dollar. Have you heard from Joe Panny? What? I said, yeah, and I told you his address. That's all. What address did you say? The Allen Hotel on 115th Street. Same place he was before. What's the matter? You forget? It took me ten minutes to get from the police station over to the Allen Hotel. Ten minutes of wondering who'd put in that call and use my name. I went up the stairs, two at a time, up to the second floor. And right at the top of the landing, I bumped into a dark-haired woman wearing a silver fur piece. Oh! Oh, I'm sorry. I, I didn't see you. It's all right. You hurt? No, not at all. Please, let me go past. I'm in a hurry. Yeah, I'd be in a hurry, too. What do you mean? The gun. What? You should carry it on the inside of your purse. Oh, I didn't... Suppose I take let it. No, let go of me, you... Fingernails, huh? Give it to me. All right, take it! She'd given it to me, all right, right on the side of the head. It didn't knock me out, but it did knock me off balance, so I tangled up with a hall table. And that gave her plenty of time to scurry down the stairs while I got out of the furniture and back on my feet. By the time I got down the stairs and out on the street, she was nowhere in sight. Hmm. No one yelled, I'm shot. No one did anything but what they were already doing. Where were you just now? You weren't here at the front desk. I was out back eating my dinner. Why? Oh, nothing. You happen to see that woman who just ran through here? No. Tall, dark-haired woman, about 30, wore a mixed stole. Me? Yeah. Oh, you're kidding. In this joint. Oh, brother. You still looking for Joe Panny? He lives here again, doesn't he? Yeah. Have you seen him? Where is he? Out. I sat down with myself and waited a half an hour later, when the clerk went back to finish his dinner, I stepped over to the desk and borrowed his pass key and went back up the stairs to room 210. Well, I didn't need the pass key and I didn't need to doubt the clerk. Joe Panny wasn't there. But all of his things were. The curtains were drawn and the windows closed. Every drawer had been pulled out of every dresser. The mattress on the bed was slipped from top to bottom, and the rug had been ripped and turned over. Expense account, item six, one dollar, one drink. For me. I left JoJo's room, went to the nearest bar, sat down, and had a drink. A scared victim, a missing con... A dark-haired woman wearing a mink and a gun. And other things. Right then and there, I decided that Mike Cann's tip had been pretty good at that. Here's our star, Bob Bailey, to tell you about tomorrow's episode. Thanks. Tomorrow, a slight case of mayhem. When the right guy turns up in the wrong place. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. That was part two of the McCormick Matter from yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast, once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. As you are listening along with us this week, daily to these, and we just literally seconds ago finished listening to this ourselves, so it's all fresh in our mind. 
if you're wondering why is this different than your other podcasts, it's because usually we listen and then we think about it for a while, then we record. So, but somehow Joshua knee jerk reaction, right, right. <laughs> but somehow, yeah, Joshua's got notes. <laughs> He's got notes, and Tim and I are just gonna. Well, actually, I did say check. Stuff. And a one-inch rug back then is now, that's a nine-inch rug by modern rug <laughs> standards. <laughs> that was rug an interesting thing. They're rich. They got one-inch rugs. <laughs> uh, did anybody else notice that his conversation with the other insurance guy, not only did the other insurance guy start to sound like Jack Benny, but it became a Jack Benny routine with the interruptions and, you know, it, it became a sketch. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Rochester, you know, like he started to take on that lilt of Jack Benny. I'm wondering if it wasn't a little bit on purpose. Uh, I did not read it as Jack Benny, but... Uh, okay, fine. That didn't happen. No. <laughs> <laughs> you back down so easily. Oh, I know. I know. That's why I'm lovely to be married to. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought this episode was great for complicating matters it seemed like yeah. every single character he spoke to i went oh there's another that guy that, that, i don't <laughs> trust him oh i don't trust him we also found out that a, a beautiful woman is dangerous just about as dangerous as, as a beautiful, beautiful woman, woman. Yeah. as dangerous as hallway furniture <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna lean into in the last episode yesterday that we aired and tim at the end of that uh discussion said what about this other insurance agent i said yeah that's an interesting take uh, as we were listening, I looked at Tim and I went, I think you're on to something. Mm -hmm. I think because what gave it away for me was the insurance guy arrived almost the same time as the police. And then he also warned him, don't go there. It could be pretty dangerous. But McCormick didn't sound very dangerous. Like he was trying to persuade him just to not go look into this matter. See what I'm saying? So McCormick really creeped me out because of that warning. Yep. And yeah. he's so mild-mannered that it makes me go, oh, he's going to grab a baseball bat and just <laughs> <laughs> or, go Al Capone on him. So he's either super creepy with that really nice demeanor and mm -hmm. then does something terrible, or the insurance guy is just trying to get Johnny Dollar exactly. to not And then do Johnny anything. reads him as frightened. The exact opposite right. by the time the conversation is over. So there's a part of me that also thinks that McCormick and the insurance guy are in on it together. And the police officer. And the wife. And the wife. I don't think the and wife is. everybody who had any dialogue is in on it. Yes, and there's a priest, <laughs> as you mentioned last time. Yeah, that priest. Sort of limit our, our uh, suspect list to there is a finite number of people who know that Johnny Dollar is working on this case. Mm-hmm. Um, and that someone was checking on uh, our ostensible thief using Johnny's name. And that's basically the insurance guy. And he could have told a number of people that were involved in this, hey, we've, we've got someone closing in on us. As you've noted, Johnny Dollar introduces himself to everyone he meets. I'm Johnny Dollar. <laughs> Come on! <laughs> Seriously, what's your name? <laughs> I did like how some actual insurance stuff plays in here that McCormick did not store his jewels properly in right. violation of the insurance and was only reimbursed a small percentage of their value. How about this? No one's seen him since, right? Mm -hmm. Those jewels are still in there. It's safe. Ah. This reported stolen. They made an easy 20 grand. 
because they, they do bring up it. that point that stolen goods are hard to sell at the value right. they're worth so because it, only an honest person would buy them at that. So McCormick and the other ins- insurance guy split the twenty grand, ten grand a piece. Never left the safe, and ten grand by today's money is nine inches of carpeting. Yep. <laughs> They beat you to that. <laughs> uh, it was also a detail that perked on my ears of these were found stolen when he returned from his honeymoon. Yep. So we got that new wife kind of vibe of, you know, when you've just married, you don't tell you trust them yet. You know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. That honeymoon night. You're like, I love you, but I'm still going to get my stuff locked up. Right. <laughs> Hey, what are you doing in here? <laughs> you gonna sleep here? Oh, okay. Just spend the whole night staring at him. <laughs> hey, uh, could you sign that out if you're gonna take it? <laughs> <laughs> I think all of us looked at each other when he said, uh, "I had lunch at Walgreens." Yes, of yes. course. Walgreens, all dime stores used to have these uh, luncheon places, counters. but today it's like, I just had lunch at Kohl's, and it kind of makes you But here's why I looked up. I always assume it's only a Minneapolis store. Do you know what I mean? Like, for some reason, it was... You assume, oh, you assume this was everything a, is just Minnesota. Yeah, I, I don't... <laughs> I'm very Minnesota-centric. Well, I'll do the opposite of it, just assuming, like, you know, Prairie Market. Assuming, like, Prairie Market is some huge international... <laughs> right. The thing down the street from yes. you is... But I always thought Walgreens was a Minnesota-based thing and that it wasn't in other states. And the other thing is, the reason I looked up is, oh, I didn't know it was that old. Mm-hmm. I didn't know it went back that far. Like, I knew it went back you know 30 years but we're talking 50 60 years oh earlier than that i mean I, I did not know walgreens that. in my neighborhood on the outside it has old photos from like early 1900s like, like cave paintings like, yes <laughs> exactly <laughs> me go walgreens get fire <laughs> hey, and in today's uh market that's worth seven fires <laughs> yes <laughs> Uh, the last thing I want to say before we get to the next episode is uh, when we listen to these in the moment, I'm very much enthralled by the story. Yeah. And I just want to take one moment to compliment the production values yes. here, the sound effects. This is that era, just like we've noted, mm-hmm. Dragnet, later era Escape, where yep. the sound is so textured, that scuffle uh, mm-hmm. with the woman, woman. Yep. who – Hits him in the head with the gun, and <laughs> then he fights the uh, end table in the hall. Or <laughs> there was just a moment in the last episode, episode one, where it's just subtle things of just pulling up a chair and sitting mm-hmm. down. Uh, those things are just strike me when I realize in my head I'm seeing such detailed movement like I'm watching a movie. And then I go, oh, wait, I'm listening. And that's those moments where I say, wow, then that's production value, where mm-hmm. I can see him. Just, it's just scooting a chair up. Yep. But you don't have to put that in for us to understand the story. So it's those level of details that make it richer. And it's really beautifully well done that way. And the, the mechanics of serialized storytelling of it's not easy to have a credible, compelling cliffhanger every 15 minutes. And uh, it was amusing to me when he first spoke to McCormick. Of like, well, I haven't actually talked to the guy who handled the first insurance case, even though he's tried twice to talk to me. I've re- actively refused. <laughs> right. But then when he does go to Walgreens, it's a great excuse to like, so here's everything that's happened so far. Mm-hmm. I wish Walgreens did have a diner. 
I'd go there. You'd little, stop. I mean, <laughs> once you actually, oh, this is okay. Little little soda stand. Hot oh. dog. <laughs> <laughs> they we're, do have hot dogs. I wouldn't eat them. Though. We're just hungry. I was doing the from Wonderful Life. I wish I had a million dollars. Hot dog at the <laughs> soda stand. There's other people that are on board with me, Scrimshaw. Sure they are. (laughs) (laughs) What the hell just happened to this conversation? (laughs) I wish I had a hot dog. Until then. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, is transcribed in Hollywood. Written by John Dawson, the entire production is under the direction of Jack Johnstone. Be sure to join us tomorrow night, same time and station, for the next exciting episode of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. Roy Rowan speaking. (laughs) 